Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Almost two years ago now, in March of 2016, John Podesta had his email account hacked. Podesta, at the time, was the chairman of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. And the hackers used a classic trick, telling Podesta he had to update his password. When he did that, he put tens of thousands of emails in the hands of hackers. But at the time, March of 2016, Podesta had no idea that he'd been hacked. A few weeks later, a man who was advising then-candidate Donald Trump's campaign learned that Russia had gotten thousands of emails that would reflect badly on Hillary Clinton. Those emails would not be released to the public for months. But the Trump advisor, George Papadopoulos, has pled guilty to lying to the FBI, and he's cooperating with special counsel Robert Mueller. Now on the brink of another season of primaries and elections, there's a looming question. Will Russia get involved with, and maybe even try to change the outcome of, the 2018 elections? I would argue that they're already involved and that their activities really didn't stop. P.W. Singer has testified on Russian hacking before the House of Representatives. He's a senior fellow at the New America Think Tank and the author of Cybersecurity and Cyber War, What Everyone Needs to Know. And he says there's two components of the Russian strategy. First, the hacking and stealing of information, like what happened to John Podesta. And Singer says that's going on right now. There's been reporting in the last few weeks that Russia is trying to hack into senators' computers. But then there's the second part that was arguably more influential on the election itself, which is what we call the influence operations. So not trying to merely hack someone's account, but to hack the conversation, so to speak. So this is the whole aspect of um, social media operations where you have someone in Russia that's posing as if there's someone in the United States that's trusted. So the examples that have been proven uh, range from someone trying to appear as if they're a Tea Party organizer to someone trying to appear if they're a U.S. Army veteran, uh, someone trying to appear as if they're a... um, African-American activist, you name it, and then using that posing to try and change what people believe, change the conversations online. But here's the thing. Singer argues that the Russians do not see the world the same way we do. They're not Democrats. They're not Republicans. They're Russians. And they're not cheerleaders for a particular party or ideology. They are cheerleaders for chaos. So in the United States, when we think about propaganda, it's um, I'm going to try and message so that you love me, that you, you, you like me or you like my candidate. Whereas going back to Soviet Union days, and they literally invented the concept of disinformation campaigns, it's not about making you like them or even like certain types of candidates. It's instead about trying to cause distrust, disarray, to divide the opposition. And so, for example, one of the things that's been hard for people to understand, but again, there's a pattern of this going back to the Cold War, is that they'll reach out to try and influence and lift up both the extreme right and the extreme left because they see the center as the target that they want to go after. In 2016, the centrist that they weren't a fan of was named Hillary Clinton. And when their efforts appeared to be fruitful in the U.S., Russian influencers descended on other countries like France, like Norway. And Singer says the goal for 2018 
is pretty clear. The goal is to cause Americans to distrust everything in their own politics and media to basically divide and conquer. The classic Russian technique for doing this is to get a little help from some friends. And in espionage terms, sometimes they are what we think of as um, fellow travelers, people who share those beliefs, and other times they're what uh, translates from Russian as useful idiots. And the difference between the Cold War and today is that we've seen these fellow travelers, these useful idiots, not just become empowered through social media and by certain media organizations, but they're also being highlighted. They're being given platforms and voices. So you'll see things where there's like conspiracy theorists, you know, like the guy behind Pizzagate, who's then being retweeted by the most influential social media um, account out there in the world, the president of the United States. So how has the strategy worked? Singer is pretty unequivocal. That strategy is paid off in gangbusters for Russia. Which, when it comes to 2018 and the increasing targeting of individual state and district races, that may be the real problem. What worries me is not just that Russia's doing this, not just that they got away with it, but how every other actor out there is looking at it and saying, huh, this was incredibly cheap for them to pull off highly successful, almost no discernible punishment. Mm -hmm. So this is no pain, all gain. I could do this too. So you're saying our reaction to what happened in 2016 has some bearing on whether it will happen again in 2018 because the Russians were like, this, uh, you know, this didn't seem to cause us, as you said, a lot of pain. Instead of causing deterrence, we've created incentives For Russia to do it again in more ways, but also to target other nations in more ways. So, for example, the president's own national security advisor said recently they've seen attempts at this um, targeting Mexican elections, Mm -hmm. but also other actors out there, be they other states to non-state actors all the way down to individuals. Some billionaire are looking at this and going, hold it. This was really cheap what the Russians pulled off. We could do this, too. Mm. And so the future is actually you may see more of these where it's actually going to be hard to figure out who the heck is trying to do it and what are they after? Is it Russia going after a certain um, congressman because they don't like their stance on Ukraine? Mm -hmm. Or is it some billionaire going after them because, you know, they really believe in some single issue like tax policy? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me ask about our capabilities on this front, because you've said that while we've spent an awful lot of time building up a very impressive physical military with physical tools, Russia has just invested tremendously in this cyber capacity. Have we? Are we Are we in any position to fend off, it sounds like, a lot of incoming uh, that, that's, you know, headed our way? So there's capability and then there's will. Okay. So there's what you can do, and then there's your willingness to do it. And that's where other actors, particularly Russia, look at the United States and say, 
Yeah, you've got some really great capability. Offensive cyber, the National Security Agency, they have a lot to be mad at Edward Snowden. But the one thing that he did reveal is that they have incredible offensive cyber capability. Hmm. But it doesn't matter if it's not utilized in terms of a manner that causes deterrence. Or if you look outside of the cyber realm, are other tools of national power. So you know, isn't it striking that we've been bullied about by the 13th largest economy in the world? world and falling. So have we utilized those other tools of power? And this is where there's been this, you know, real, um, uh, I'm trying to be very um, choosy with my words here, um, problematic stance by the Trump administration that even the Republican Congress has been, Mm -hmm. hold it, you know, you were supposed to implement sanctions and we're not seeing them. So if you're not going to do it, we're going to push harder. And one of the key areas of understanding the change in the environment is not just how Russia has gotten away with this, but also how the technology itself is changing. And we have particularly new areas like artificial intelligence that don't just shift what you can do in areas like uh, these online influence operations where, you know, an AI can um, pose as a human, an AI can maybe even literally create fake video and the like, Mm. but also it's this bigger area of strategic competition where, you know, China may well be pushing ahead of the United States in the game-changing technology of the future. Hmm. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Peter Singer, the author of Cybersecurity and Cyber War, What Everyone Needs to Know. He has served in the office of the Secretary of Defense and is a strategist at the New America Think Tank. So let's talk about what Russia can do in 2018. Do you think, for example, They can change vote totals. This is an area that's in dispute among uh, cybersecurity um, professionals. Uh, And so we know that there have been forays into um, voter databases. Which is Uh, very important, right? Because, I mean, now, obviously, if you do show up to vote and you're unexpectedly not on the rolls, you could cast a provisional ballot um, and your vote could be counted later if it was determined, yes, you were indeed registered to vote. But it seems very scary and not good at all to think that a foreign power might be trying to fiddle with the roles. Exactly. And so that's where you hear people, you know, say things like they can't hack the machine. That's there's an argument back and forth on that. But why would you need to hack the machine if I can hack the conversation or hack the mind or hack trust in the outcome or hack uh, the um, ability of someone to show up to vote. Right. Uh, so, you know, when I think about the conversation that we've had around election cybersecurity, you know, we've tended to look in the wrong places and, and have the wrong kind of debates. Well, so do you do you personally worry either about vote totals or about this idea of obviously every state's got a list of people who can vote and that will continue on up until the deadline where people can not register to vote any longer uh, for the November elections? Uh, do you worry about either uh, Russians getting into the lists of people who are able to show up and vote and changing those lists around somehow or or changing the ultimate outcome. Oh, the vote wasn't 10,000 to 20,000. It was 10,000 to 15,000 or whatever. Look, I'm a security guy, so I worry about everything. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But maybe what worries me the most is that even if that happened, who would we trust now 
-hmm. who would we believe Mm -hmm. in terms of reporting that it happened? Uh, And this is where you have the combination of the attacks from the outside on our institutions. And this is where, you know, Mm -hmm. clearly this has been a goal by Russia, but also the attacks on the inside Mm -hmm. on these institutions of America. So causing distrust of the judicial system, causing distrust of law enforcement like the FBI, causing distrust of any and all media. It's fake news defined as, well, it's news I don't like as opposed to not being real. And, you know, this is the real problem. I see it for us as a nation right now is when and if something like that happened, we wouldn't be able to even talk about it, um, argue about it. Yeah, agree on what happened. Yeah. Yeah, And and that's, you know, that's incredible. And so you can't even get to what to do about it if you're stuck within this like morass of, well, I don't have to believe you because I don't like you or um, this institution, uh, you know, that's um, supposed to be uh, not involved in partisan politics. Well, because it did something I don't like, it's therefore involved. I mean, we all know what we're talking about here. And so this is a problem of both external attack on our institutions, but also this problem of people who have decided that it's in their interests to hollow them out from the inside. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, spotlight on Facebook, on Twitter as well. Are uh, social media platforms any more ready for what you kind of talked about as like the hacking of the mind um, in 2018 than they were in 2016? I think they are. They're not in a great place. But really what's happened is we've seen these companies and more particularly the individuals at the head of them go through really the the stages of grief. So, you know, they they went from denying that this was even a a problem. Uh, You know, so Mark Zuckerberg in the days after the election, you know, famously said it was a a pretty crazy idea was his quote that this could have happened and this could have had an influence. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, there's, you know, again, you're going through the stages of denial. Then there's, you know, angry retort. There's there's bargaining. Well, I I did this, you know, and then uh, and so they've been under pressure to both reveal more and the more people have dug, the more we've found, you know, for example, there was a suspicion that there were a large number of these fake accounts that were really Russian actors to, wow, um, it didn't, they weren't measured in the hundreds, they were measured in the tens of thousands, or the example of um, the ads, oh, there was just a couple of ads, they weren't that big Mm -hmm. a deal, to, wow, actually, they were seen by millions upon millions Mm -hmm. of people. And so we've seen them go through that. In turn, the focus of their cybersecurity efforts has shifted. So their cybersecurity teams initially were just looking at how do we keep people from cracking into our networks Whereas now they've been looking more at how do we keep people from shaping the conversation on our networks, posing as someone that they're not. So this influence campaign side. And you can see a real difference between how both the U.S. government and the tech companies handled the threats to the American election in 2016 versus how they were handled 
in the later French election, Mm -hmm. where everything from French intelligence was going after this problem to the French political parties were doing interesting things like, okay, you're going to try and steal our emails? Well, we're going to put a bunch of fake emails in there so that you have to sift through the good and the bad Mm -hmm. to the tech companies went from not knocking anyone offline, or sorry, I should be clear, incredibly low numbers of people measured in the hundreds of fake accounts Mm -hmm. to before the French election, I believe the number was over 50,000. Now, it wasn't that Russia cared, you know, those multiple times more about the French election. Mm -hmm. It was that we'd shifted in our response. Mm Mm-hmm. It sounds like you like you you think that the French response, which was a combination of public and private, was all these institutions getting together, looking at what had happened in the U.S. and saying, no, this is not going to happen here in our presidential election, Um, that you like that, but you don't think we're we're following in France's footsteps there. Absolutely. And again, it's not just France. It's a number of other nations have taken similar measures. Coordinated. uh, Yeah. yeah. And and, and a good example would be the Baltic nations that, you know, were the first to feel this kind of brunt of an effort that crossed between Russian cyber Mm. hacks and influence operations. And they have a whole of society response that ranges from, you know, intelligence tracking of what's going on to digital literacy campaigns Mm. to help their kids and citizens, you know, understand of the threats that are after them to Sweden literally just created an agency to better secure its elections that's going to look at everything from how do we secure the voting process to how do we keep foreign propaganda from influencing it. So the point is, it can be done if you're willing to do it. The problem in the United States right now is that for whatever reason, the incentives aren't there that we didn't react to a foreign attack with a shared, this will not stand. Instead, we took the attitude, well, it kind of helped my team, so I'm not that upset about it. Peter Singer is a senior fellow at the think tank New America. He's also the author of Cybersecurity and Cyber War, What Everyone Needs to Know. Peter, thank you so much. Thanks. Peter Singer says that if our government did have the will to deter Russia from future attacks, here are a few things it might want to do. One, expand financial sanctions even more. Two, reveal hidden Russian assets, so places where oligarchs stash their cash. And three, target individual hackers, so that, as Singer puts it, there'd be a raise in the cost of doing business. He notes that President Obama had plans to do some of those things. But in Singer's view, the plans came too late, and the Trump administration shelved them. We've got lots more on all of this at our website, from France's response to social media's response. That's at innovationhub.org. 